0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we usually take 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics, but this is a special 15-minute Saturday edition on how the coronavirus is impacting our lives and our economy, tied to a new Axios Deep Dive that will be published later today at Axios.com. I'm Dan Permac. So let's start with what's closest to home, how we should eat, how we should shop, and otherwise live our lives while being asked to keep our distance. And for answers, I am joined by Axios reporter, Steph Kite. So Steph, let's start with the simplest. So many of us have been told not to leave our homes or try not to leave our homes, but obviously we need to eat. And if we go to grocery stores, we almost can't help but being within six feet of people. So what exactly are we supposed to do to get food?
1: At this point, according to several of the experts, it's still okay to be going to grocery stores to get your food. Of course, experts recommend that you avoid being in close contact with people and take precautions like wiping down a grocery cart or a basket before you use it trying not to touch lots of shelves and lots of things while you're in there, trying to keep your distance from people, maybe going right after a store opens or near closing time, times of the day when there might be fewer people around. But at this point, it is still okay to go to the store and get what you need. That's something that's considered necessary. So even in places like California, where they're really cracking down on people remaining in their homes, it's still okay to carefully go out and get the food that you need to survive.
0: What about ordering food to your house delivery, which in theory, at least puts somebody else at risk, right? Because they have to be working at a shop and get in their car and then come to where you live. Is it considered that delivery is better than say takeout, takeout better than delivery? Don't do either one.
1: Actually, both options are okay, especially because there's been some new research recently by the New England Journal that shows that when it comes to contamination, when it comes to getting infected by this disease, packages are less of a concern than human to human contact. So there are ways to maybe tell your deliverer person to leave the package or leave your ordered food on your doorstep. If you want to take extra precautions, you can kind of wipe down whatever the packaging that it comes in to make sure that you're not contaminating yourselves. But it is also a good idea to be supporting local businesses and supporting people who do need to work and want their jobs to continue. So there are ways to go about ordering and going to pick up, take out in a way that's safe. And again, the key here is to avoid human-to-human contact as much as possible, to keep that six feet of distance. But when it comes to transferring objects, there's a little bit of a less of concern there.
0: And I'll just put in a plug, when you talk about helping local businesses, if you don't need to buy something, but there is a local store or restaurant you do normally frequent and want to help them out, go to helpmainstreet.com, which was just started by a bunch of techies, which is basically letting people buy gift cards. So these stores have cash flow, and it's got maps, and, and you can find your local store. Let's talk about errands and helping neighbors and friends. If you have an elderly neighbor, an immunocompromised neighbor, is it a good idea to offer to help them do some errands, say like food shopping, or are you actually putting them at more risk by going out into the world to do it?
1: This is something that I asked Dr. Michael Mina, who is the assistant professor of epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health. And he said that this actually is a really good idea and actually encourage people to do this, but to take precautions. Don't try to interact with your neighbor human to human while you're doing this. If you're going to run and do laundry for them, ask them to leave their basket of laundry on their front doorstep and tell them that you'll drop it off there when you're done. Again, there are ways to be helping people who are more at risk with this virus, but it does require taking precautions. It requires washing your hands before and after you do these things, avoiding contact when you are going out, but it is better off for you to help them that way than having them actually go out and risk more contact with people.
0: A lot of people are starting to go stir crazy, particularly if they're inside small apartments. Is it okay not just to go outside, but say, go for a run, go to a park where there might be some other people around?
1: Again, this is a fine thing to do. It's actually encouraged by most people. And in my research and talking with experts, they say that being outside is totally okay. But the problem is when it starts to become crowded and does look like based on, the research that we have so far that the virus does carry in the air through droplets as we're breathing. It can stay in the air for hours. So it does make it more dangerous if you're in outside places where there are lots of people. If you're in a running group or something like that, that probably wouldn't be ideal because everyone's sweating and breathing and in close proximity where the virus particles could be floating around. So again, it's great to be outside, especially if there's open space. But Just being a crowd is generally not okay, even if you are outdoors.
0: Finally, so I've got a nine-year-old here in the house who doesn't have school for the foreseeable future. She has not seen in person one of her friends in over a week. Can our kids play in person physically with their friends or should they?
1: Uh, It's something that really should be avoided at this point. And I know that's super hard. I can't imagine, I don't have kids of my own, so I can't imagine having to keep them entertained on top of doing your job. And so, kudos to all the parents out there who are trying to make this work. But what experts recommend is if you absolutely need to, if there's just no other way you need your kid to have some contact, first of all, try to limit the number of families you're letting your kid hang out with. Maybe find a family who's also taking this seriously and has been quarantining themselves. social distancing themselves and maybe make a pact that just your kids are going to play together. That's one option. And the other thing that experts have told me is to suggest that kids do something that doesn't require person-to-person contact. Maybe have your kids go on a bike ride with another kid, but keep their distance. So there are ways to make it work. But overall, at this point, just limiting any interaction with people outside of the closest family is what's best to do.
0: Steph Kite, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And now let's turn to the state of the epidemic. As of yesterday morning, there were around 246,000 confirmed cases around the globe, of which over 14,000 were in the U.S., more than 10,000 people have died, including over 200 here. What we've known since the beginning, though, is that the more we test, the more infections we'll learn about. So to dig into the state of America's medical response, I am joined by Axios Healthcare editor, Sam Baker. So Sam, when you and I talked a week ago on the show, you gave basically a failing grade to our testing regime. Does it still get an F or have things improved?
2: Things improved. They have not improved all the way to an A, but it is working its way up. Our testing capacity is getting better. We still are not where we need to
0: be. Sam, can we talk a little bit, you know, right now, those getting tested are those who are showing some symptoms. That's what we've heard from the White House and from governors and from hospitals. So if you're asymptomatic, don't get tested. But when we see what they did in South Korea, one of the ways they flattened and and actually lowered that curve was by testing people who were asymptomatic because they might have it and give it to someone else. Are we anywhere close to being able to test folks who don't have a fever or a cough?
2: No, we're not. And that is exactly where we need to get. You know, we know that people can transmit this virus before they start showing symptoms. And so, you know, if if you were doing this right, and South Korea is someone or a country that did it right, you would, when you have one confirmed case, you would move on and sort of start testing their people of that person and come in contact with whether they're showing symptoms or not, so that, you know, on an individual level, who needs to sort of self quarantine and stay out of crowds. And that is how you, as you said, flatten the curve. We are a long way away from that.
0: Are there expectations right now when our curve might indeed flatten, given what we're doing? Is there kind of an expectation from timing?
2: No, there's not. And then that's because we're still playing so much catch up on the testing. I know it sounds like everything, we just keep saying, well, it's the testing, it's the testing, it's the testing, but it it, it really is. We still are figuring out how many people in the U.S. have this, where they are. Like we are still in the process of getting our arms around this problem. And so the next phase will be trying to address it. But we still are trying to catch up and doing a pretty good job catching up, but still playing catch up on just figuring out what we're up against here.
0: On that point, there's lots of companies, some reputable, some not, who have been coming out with at-home tests and not like a pregnancy test, like where you can take it and find out immediately whether you have coronavirus or not, but tests whereby you're supposed to take a nasal swab, basically put it back in the packaging, send it, and then it goes to to a real lab. Is that something people who are concerned should do,
2: shouldn't do? There probably is not much benefit to doing it at this point, because as you said, some of those tests are real, some of them aren't. I think I would probably wait for more guidance from the federal government before putting a lot of stock in that to sort of suss out what's real and what's just a scam. We have seen other scams like that. But you know, there certainly is great hope within the government and sort of the public health apparatus that at home testing will become part of the solution here, mainly because that will keep people away from healthcare settings where they risk infecting others.
0: Speaking of healthcare settings, there has been a lot of talk about supply shortages, beds, ventilators, and and masks in particular. Uh, During the White House press conference on Thursday, there was a lot of reporter questions trying to get details on the supply of masks. And Vice President Pence basically suggested plenty of masks have now been made. It's just a bottleneck in getting them to facilities. From your reporting, what we can tell, is that correct? In other words, are there boxes of masks that just have to physically get to the hospital? Or do we still have an actual supply issue?
2: I think it's both. Healthcare workers have to change these masks pretty often. They really go through them at a pretty good clip. And what you hear from hospitals and from the healthcare industry and healthcare workers is no, there are not enough masks. I'm sure that there are supply chain issues here, but there are also real shortage issues, not just with masks, but as you said, with hospital beds, with some of the stuff we need to conduct testing. There are a lot of real product shortages here that are of real concern.
0: If you were in charge of the federal government on the healthcare side, Basically, if you were theoretically Mike Pence in this, what's the one thing you would want to do immediately to help alleviate the situation?
2: Continue to ramp up testing as much as possible and then get whatever local health capabilities are able to do it to start doing that contact tracing after people are tested. You're not going to make a huge dent in the problem necessarily until you test a lot of people, but every case counts. Every time you can catch someone before they start to become symptomatic, you can probably prevent them from spreading it further. So that's really the next phase of this.
0: Sam Baker, Axios Healthcare editor, and you can sign up for Axios's daily healthcare newsletter called Vitals at signup.axios.com. And finally today, let's turn to what the coronavirus pandemic is doing to our economy. And I'm joined by Axios Markets editor Dion Rabowen. You and I on this show a week ago talked about the idea that America could be heading into a recession. Is that now just guaranteed? And what we're really wondering forward looking is if we could be heading toward a depression?
3: Nothing is guaranteed, but this thing is about as locked in as it can be. With the initial unemployment claims numbers we saw just Thursday, that basically locks us in for a recession, as well as the numbers that are starting to roll in about what we can expect in terms of unemployment next week. That in and of itself, just regardless of anything else that's happening, suggests, yeah, we are already very much in a recession right now.
0: Is there a technical difference between a recession and a depression? Or is that really more a, a colloquial difference?
3: I think it's more a colloquial difference in terms of just how long a thing lasts. But I'm, I'm not actually sure. That's a good question.
0: Let's talk about the unemployment numbers. What are we seeing right now? You, you talked about some of the numbers rolling in. And what are expectations that we are going to see in the next week or two?
3: Yeah. So this past week, you saw an increase of 70,000 more applications for unemployment benefits, which is the most we've seen in about two years and the highest we've seen since, I think it was September of 2017, which is a, a pretty significant number, especially considering unemployment. These initial jobless claims have been at 50-year lows for months on end at this point. But what we're going to see, at least according to economists, is something in a magnitude of 10x that. Goldman Sachs is predicting that we could see 2.25 million people file for unemployment claims next week. And that's just the number of people that will be on the rolls and officially counted. I've seen some numbers as high as 14 million people could be laid off. It's absolutely staggering, the numbers that we're seeing. And again, these are just going to kind of roll in as more people get added to the official counts.
0: Talk about people who could be laid off. There's also this third category, right, which is this furlough category, which lots of companies are doing with their employees for two reasons. One, they do plan to hire them back at some point, but B, it allows the employee to maintain health care coverage. But at the same time, unless laws change, they often can't get unemployment benefits, right? So these are folks who get to keep their health care, but don't get to bring any money in the door.
3: Right. And I actually just spoke with a, a worker at a major airline. He says right now they're being offered this kind of three to six month vacation plan, uh, an unpaid vacation by the airline, or they risk being furloughed and maybe not getting their job back while continuing to keep those health insurance claims or benefits, as you talked about. So right now, the airlines are saying to their employees, you've got a couple choices in front of you, You might luck out and keep your job. We might lay you off completely. You could take a little bit of a quote unquote sabbatical, uh, although sabbaticals are usually paid, or you can take your chances on what comes next. It's a very scary time for a lot of
0: people. Lots of attention has been paid to the troubles. and, And you were just talking about an airline, you know, leisure, hospitality, travel. Those are the three industries that kind of people keep talking about. Can you talk to me from an employment perspective? Are there some other industries we're not necessarily thinking about quite so much, which are also getting very hard hit?
3: There's so many industries that are going to be touched by this that lots of people aren't considering. I spoke with uh, one of our colleagues just the other day, she said her brother who works in Nevada, he's not necessarily in the the tourism or retail sphere, but he sort of, he touches it. So he's been laid off. Her uncle, who's a musician, he's lost his job. Used car salesman actually emailed me, said that he's been laid off because obviously who's going out buying cars now? A lot of folks in offices who are just kind of working at reception, doing jobs like that have been laid off. But Moody's put out a report a couple days ago and they showed the number or the percentage of companies within a particular industry that are going to be impacted, there's not a sector that's not. You look at automotive gaming, transportation, apparel, oil and gas, manufacturing, aerospace, mining, all of these will be affected somehow because in just about any occupation you have, we're a very service sector driven economy. You're going to be need to be near people in one way or another.
0: Dion, finally, very quickly, because all of this doom and gloom is justified. There's no shading it. But give me one green shoot, one positive that you've learned this week about the American economy,
3: if there is one. About the economy, I don't know that I've heard one this week. I will say a lot of my readers have written in this week and spun out tales of really just extraordinary kindness, giving a lot of the business owners who I've been talking to have said some of their regular customers and and some people just in the neighborhood have really come out and tried to do anything that they could. So there just have been some really heartwarming tales of folks helping out one another, doing things to help out their fellow man and woman, just kind of being good humans. And that's a really great thing to see because, as this thing continues, it's really going to test a lot of folks' humanity and kindness.
0: Dion an editor of Axios Markets, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks so much for joining us. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national ravioli day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.